All right, if you want to make your way back to your seats, you can. Grab a Bible that's on a seat next to you or one that you brought with you from home. And turn with me to Isaiah chapter 35 as we continue to work through Advent. We are now on the third Sunday of Advent which is uh, in Latin called Gaudet Sunday, I believe that's how it's said, uh, which is the Sunday of joy. Um, and so we're, we're continuing on. I'll be completely honest with you that even though this is the Sunday of joy, it's a Sunday that I'm becoming uh, a little bit to dread. Uh, and, and just because of some stuff that our family walked through about five years ago, uh, and, uh, and it was kind of on this Sunday that it all came to a head, and that was really, really difficult. And so I remember that very clearly. I remember... I. I <laughs> preached a lot of sermons over the last 11 years, and I can remember some of them. That is the one I remember the clearest, just because of how emotional I was then. Uh, and then today as well, uh, you know, we've had a lot going on. There's a lot to celebrate, uh, but even today, there's a lot of people who are sick. We've been scrambling uh, with people getting sick last night. Uh, our family's been sick all week long. Uh, I'm, I'm on the mend. Uh, this morning, we had uh, a band member uh, pass out during rehearsal, and so they are off at the... Uh, getting some medical attention right now, and, and we have a church member who's with them and, and providing care, uh, but it's just becoming one of these Sundays where things seem to happen, and, and yet this is supposed to be Joy Sunday, and I, I struggle with that a little bit. Uh, but anyways, we're going we're gonna to go through, and we're going to find joy because our joy is ultimately not in our circumstances, but is in Christ, and, and, and we'll see that this morning in, in, the, in the text. Uh, so uh, as we prepare to go to the text, and as we prepare to uh, uh, reflect on it, would you pray with me, please? Father, may your word be our rule. May your spirit be our guide. And above everything, we pray that Jesus Christ would be our chief concern. Even so, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Isaiah chapter 35, I, th <laughs> I do want to say uh, the, the band member seems to be all right, it's just routine follow-up, I didn't want to scare anybody, leave people hanging there, uh, seems to be all right, uh, but just getting some follow-up work there, uh, but Isaiah chapter 35, starting at verse 1, the desert and the parched land will be glad, the wilderness will rejoice and blossom, like the crocus it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Deaf unstopped. Then will the lamb, lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, 
nor any ravenous beasts. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Now, we, we don't live in a desert. Right? It's pretty clear we don't live in a desert. And so we may miss some of the... Some of the joy in these opening verses of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 35, simply because it's a, it's a, it's a landscape that's foreign to us. But, but we do live in a place where the winters are harsh. We know what it's like for the days to grow short and the nights to grow long. We know what it is for the trees to give up trying to grow green leaves and instead allow them to turn brown and then let the wind take away that which is dead. We know what it is to watch the grass stop growing and to see it turn from green to yellow to yellow-brown and then to be covered in snow. We know what it is to feel the heat be taken from the earth. We know what it is to long for the power of the sun. And then we know what it is for all of that to, to go in reverse, right? Right? We know what it is for the sun to once again have power and begin to warm the earth. We know what it is to watch the trees begin to bud with life and for green leaves to spout forth. We know what it is to see the the, the grass return as the snow melts. And so maybe with that knowledge, we begin to feel some of what Isaiah is talking about when he says that the deserts and the parched lands will be glad because life is returning to them. Vivaciousness will once again cover the landscape. Now, we have to take this image of life returning to the desert and place it in the historical context. And in the historical context, remember Israel has been defeated by the Assyrians. Everything has been laid to waste. And it's into that that Isaiah speaks a message of hope. One day, one day the parched land will be glad. One day, despite all the evidence to the contrary, one day the wilderness will rejoice. One day what is lost will be recovered. One day what is destroyed will be repaired. And on that day, the streets will be filled with rejoicing. People will crowd, well, people will rush out of their house, houses, will crowd the streets as they sing songs of joy. I mean, it's a beautiful message, but it's one that's hard to believe when you have been suffering under oppression, when its boot has been on your neck for a long time. When the boot of oppression has been on your neck, when your circumstances are continually dire, it's hard to believe that good news. And so Isaiah gives this command in the midst of this prophecy about the wilderness and the deserts springing forth with water. He says, strengthen feeble hands. Steady knees that give weak or give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, or one translation I came across this week says, say to those with racing hearts. 
be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. And when your God comes, God will save you. Then. Notice how it flows. I love when we ever have then or therefore. I love the transition it provides. Your God will come. Your God will save you. Then. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. Then the lame will leap. Then the mute will shout with joy. Then water will gush out from the desert. When God shows up, everything changes. This is the hope of the people. This is our hope, correct? And this hope that Isaiah spoke about, that he pointed to, that he said, use this to strengthen feeble hands. Use this to prop up those who have weak knees. Use this, whose hearts are racing. This hope was passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation, all the way until we get to John the Baptist, who's sitting in a jail, who's hearing about all the things that Jesus is doing in his ministry. And so John sends his disciples to Jesus and to ask Jesus this question, are you the one? Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? John is asking if Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah that Isaiah and the other prophets have foretold about. And Jesus responds to John's disciples by saying, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind see. They've received sight. The lame walk. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is being proclaimed to the poor. You see, Jesus is paraphrasing what Isaiah says in chapter 35 and in other places. And it's his way of telling John, it's come. It has arrived. The messianic hour that we have been hoping for is upon us. The kingdom of God is breaking in in our midst right now. And it's because I've arrived. My ministry is the ministry of God's kingdom. My ministry is the ministry of the liberation of God's people. I am all that people have been waiting for, all that they've been hoping for, all that they have been looking forward to. All of that is coming true in me. Your God has come. And he will save you. And he will bring the exiles home. When I hear or when I think about this idea of Jesus bringing the exiles home, I can't help but think about the image that Jesus, the image of the shepherd who goes out. Jesus told this story, right? The shepherd goes out because he has a bunch of sheep, but he notices that one of those sheep is lost. And so he leaves the 99 to go and to find the one. And when the shepherd finds the one sheep, he picks that sheep up, puts the sheep on his shoulders, and then takes it home. This is what the shepherd does. Jesus is saying, this is what I do. I am the one who will bring back the sheep who are lost in exile. And this is what Jesus promises to do for you and to me, to bring us home. 
And we have to remember, we have to recognize, and this is where where we're going to dive in for just a little bit. We have to see that getting home is not something we can do on our own, but it is something that we need the shepherd for. And that is captured in this image of the sheep. When a sheep is lost, it does not have the ability to find its way back home on its own. It wanders off, it looks around, notices that it's lost, and then a sheep does a really dumb thing. Rather than trying to retrace its steps, rather than even, maybe it's not dumb, right? This is actually what they tell you you're supposed to do. Rather than trying to just wander around the wilderness, the sheep sits down. It almost becomes paralyzed with fear because it can't formulate a plan, right? It, 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 It can't problem solve. It just understands that it's not where it's supposed to be and it's in danger, so it sits down. But once the sheep sits down out of fear, it refuses to budge. Even if the shepherd shows up, like the sheep isn't going to pop up and then go, all right, let's go, off we are. No, instead the sheep will stay there. And the only way that the sheep is going to get home is if the shepherd picks the sheep up, places it on its shoulder, and takes it there. This is what the exiles are like. The only way that the exiles are going to get home is if God takes them. The only way is if God shows up and says, I have made a way. I will take you there. Without the shepherd, they are sheep sitting down in the wilderness. It's easy to think that the exiles are simply people who lived a few thousand years ago who live under Assyrian rule. But let us also acknowledge the fact that you and I are exiles. You and I are exiles who are longing for home, who desire to be, be, be brought back, and who spend a lot of time trying to get back on our own. You see, this desire for home is an innate longing within every single human being. We human beings are made for home. We're wired to have a place that we belong to, that provides for all of our needs, right? Our needs for safety and security and love and trust and and, and, and intimacy and beauty. And those places that provide most, if not all, of those things in some capacity, they become They become a a home to us, and home then becomes more than a place, right? It becomes more than simply a building with four walls and some paint and some furniture. It becomes more than a physical location. It becomes a space almost, like a, a space where our souls can exhale, where we can peel off our masks and allow ourselves to be fully seen. And and it's not just some nice idea, like this idea that we have for homes that we as human beings have created and passed on from generation to generation. It's something that resides deep down in our bones. It's something that we long for. It's something we desire. It's something that we, we, we experience a certain level of angst about because we don't have it, but we crave it. And you can see the fact that we as human beings crave it with the multitudes of stories that exist throughout human history that really get to this core idea of searching for and finding home. Stories that will stand the test of time. Stories that, that are grand and beautiful and profound. Stories like Frozen. Yeah, I got you there. But two girls who feel out of place in their own house only to find home in each other. Or that theological juggernaut of a film, Mean Girls. A girl who is taken from her home 
right? Moves to a new place and then struggles to fit in. Or the Wizard of Oz. Or Finding Nemo. Or Big. Or Alice in Wonderland. Or Back to the Future. Or the Jungle Book. And on and on it goes. Right? All of these stories, and we could, do, we, could do, we could actually do legitimate stories here, but you get the point that all of these have at their core this theme of finding home, finding belonging, finding place. And because, and their mass appeal, the reason that they're successful, the reason that we all know about these stories is because they tap into something that's core about being human. Everyone can relate to these stories because there's a central desire that we all have for home and a sense of alienation from home, right? Like even in those times and those places where we have everything that we think constitutes a home or the idea of home to us, there's this low-grade hum that exists just below the surface that says, I'm not home yet. It's, it's close, but it's not quite that, right? There's this sense of like, it's here but I'm also afraid it's going to end at any moment. This moment, this laughter, this security, these friendships, this rest, this, this isn't necessarily going to last. It's going to, it's going to end because tomorrow I have to go to work or, or the kids are going to come busting through the doors at any moment or some bad news is going to reach us via the telephone or I'm going to do something to mess this up or my job is going to end up taking me away from these people that I love or I can't enjoy this completely because as much as I enjoy this, as much as this is home for me, I'm also constantly aware that there are other people who are simultaneously suffering. So yes, I feel like I'm home. I feel like I have what I need, but I can't fully enjoy it because they don't. And, and all of this creates within us this it's close but not quite feeling in regards to home. It's almost home but not quite home. And still, I'm still left longing for it. And I'm still left feeling alienated from it. I'm, I'm longing for something more permanent. And, and the dirty little secret about being human is this thing that I'm longing for and this thing that exists within my heart, that my heart is just aching for, this, this thing is not something I can provide for myself. It's not something I can conjure up. It's not something I can make. I mean, sure, I can, I can build a good home. I can find security if I manage my finances well enough. I can make myself valuable to my company. I can work really hard on my marriage and my other relationships. Like I can do all the right things in the world and yet it's still not going to bring me home. It's still not going to it's still not going to offer the balm to my soul that it wants. Because home's not just a place. And the space that I can even provide isn't permanent enough, isn't long-lasting enough, isn't durable enough to withstand the onslaught of the world around me. Home, home is even more than my relationships because at some point in time, almost, it's like everyone at some point is going to let me down. Even, even, like, I am going to let my wife down. Like, we're going to work to make it up. And we're going to do that, which we can repair, but there's, like, I'm going to let her down at some, I, I have let her, let's just be honest about that, Right? Home is more than all of those things. 
the home that our souls are restless for is communion with God. It's to be with God in a relationship in which we both are fully known and we fully know. And, and since sin has entered into the world, we don't have that. We have been separated from God. We have been alienated from God. And despite the fact that we live in the world that God created and placed us into, despite the fact that we were made for this world, something feels off, something's missing, something's not quite right. We aren't as settled as we want to be because we are alienated from God. And so because we're alienated from God, we try to fix it in all these different ways. We either try to earn our way back to God or we try to at least, to at least uh, settle the anxiety that vibrates throughout our bones, right? We, we, we use what we have at our disposal as much as possible. We try to climb the social ladder. We busy ourselves with activities. We throw ourselves into our kids' lives. We buy new thing after new thing in order to distract ourselves from this idea that we aren't home, that we are alienated, that things aren't quite right. We try to blind ourselves to the reality that we can't fix it, and we busy ourselves with trying to fix it. And it either is done through numbing ourselves or it's done by trying to be too good. Like, I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to prove myself to God. And all the while, we're simply obscuring the fact that the blind that Isaiah talks about is us. I'm the blind. I'm the deaf who cannot hear. I'm the lame who cannot walk. I'm the mute who cannot speak. Every one of these people has a condition that they cannot fix on their own. Right? I mean, sure, they, they, can, get, they can find their place in the world, they can get a job, they can have functional lives, they can get along as, as well, I mean, especially nowadays, almost as well as all of the rest of us. They can work, they can earn money, they can have relationships and families and all of that sort of stuff. But they can't change their condition. A blind individual cannot restore their sight. Deaf cannot bring their hearing back. The lame cannot make themselves to walk. The mute cannot make themselves to speak. And I'm the blind because I can't change my condition. You're the deaf because you can't change your condition. You can do all that you want to to try to contain, contain, uh, change that condition. You can, you can try to numb yourself. You can try to be as good as you want, but you cannot bring yourself home. You cannot change your condition any more than a sheep can get itself home without its shepherd carrying it. You and I need someone to rescue us. And that's the good news of Advent. The good news of Advent is not just that God will come, although it is that, but it's also the good news, and, and, and this is what, what is pertinent to this idea of getting home. It's the idea that God has come. God has come so we might be able to go home. Our exile has ended. 
Our alienation is being replaced with relationship as Christ has come and made a way for us as prodigals to go back home. But unlike the prodigal who goes back home thinking that he's just going to get some job as his father's servant, right? That he's not going to be welcomed back, but he's actually going to be met with some, some, some recourse, that he's going to be met with some sternness, that he's going to be even met with anger. We know that when we go home, we're going to be met with joy as the father celebrates and rejoices because his sons and his daughters have returned. The Father himself has made a way for us to return by sending Jesus Christ into the world to not only show us the way back home, but to take us home. So rejoice. Be glad. Our exile is over. No longer are we alienated. We can go home. We can go home to the place that our souls long for because of Jesus Christ, because of his saving work on the cross. Because he is the shepherd who picks us up and takes us there. We get to go home. And so if your hands are weak with worry from working hard at trying to be good enough or smart enough or tough enough, take heart. You can stop working. Christ has come. And it's all been done and there is nothing that you could do to add one thing to what Christ has done for you. So let your hands rest. And accept the good work that Jesus has done. If your knees are weak and are threatening to give way because of what you are facing, because you feel like it's too much, it feels like you're not strong enough to stand up underneath it, that you're not capable of dealing with it, then take comfort. Christ has come. And no matter what happens, no matter if the situation turns out in your favor or if it all falls apart, the sovereign God of the universe is still sitting on the throne and one day will make it right. And until the day in which God makes it right, Emmanuel, God with you. And let that strengthen. Don't, don't try to be your own strength. Let that strengthen you. And if your heart is racing because you don't think that you'll ever be enough, that you won't ever quell the anxiety, that you don't quite fit in, that you're not qualified to deal with what you're facing, that, that you're never going to get or arrive to that place that your heart is longing for, then be, be strong and do not fear. Because Christ has come. And he will save you. More than that, <laughs> Christ has saved you. Through the cross, Jesus Christ made a way home for you. So walk that road. And if you can't walk, that's okay. Jesus will carry you. Jesus will carry you and take you home.
And I hope that we can let our hearts rest there. That we don't have to save ourselves, that we don't have to bring ourselves back from exile, that we don't have to fix the alienation that we have caused by our sin. But we can rest because Christ has done it for us. And if our hearts can rest there, then I think we can begin to enter into the rejoicing of this season no matter what our circumstances are. We can begin to find joy and not, the, not necessarily the happy clappy joy, not necessarily the painted on smile joy, but, but the kind of joy where we have peace in our hearts. The kind where we recognize that oftentimes it's the weary hearts that rejoice. It's the weary hearts that rejoice. And we rejoice because we're no longer separated. Christ has come. Christ has saved us. This is our Advent hope. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that in Jesus Christ all has been done for us. We give you thanks that in Christ the messianic hour began and continues on until your return. And so, Lord, in this moment, at this time, in this place, we find hope in the fact that you are bringing us exiles home, that we who were once separated from you, we who were alienated from you, are no longer alienated but are reconciled through Jesus Christ so that we are in intimate, right relationship with you. We give you thanks and we praise you. And... We look forward to the day in the future in which Christ returns and makes all things right. May our hope this Christmas season, this Advent season, be founded on the reality that it is all because of what Christ has done for us in his coming, in his death, and in his resurrection. May nothing else, may we place our hope in nothing else. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.